0: If you were to go to the Cairo Museum in Egypt you would find an ancient statue on display there of a man and a woman and two young boys in the description the inscription at the bottom of the statue there in Egypt says Yusef the Hebrew man who saved the Egyptian nation from the great famine and it's amazing when you think about that Joseph this great biblical character is also a historical character. That this Hebrew boy, this foreigner, had risen to great power in Egypt to a place that he was able to not just save Egypt, but save all of the nations around Egypt, including his own friends and family. And it all started with a dream. Those crazy dreams we talked about last week from Genesis 37, when he was 17 years old, God put a dream in his heart that changed his life and motivated him and compelled him to the end of that story. It compelled him through disappointment, through struggle, through uh, obstacles that seemed too great to overcome to achieve the end, an incredible story that changed the world. You see, you and I, when, when we look at Joseph's story, it's easy to, to look at the end result. See, I wonder if there was anybody in, in uh, Egypt at that time when Joseph had risen to power by Genesis 38 and 48 and 50 in the end of the chapter of Genesis. And I wonder if there were people that looked at Joseph and thought, man, how great would it be to be Joseph? I mean, here he is, the second in line behind Pharaoh. He was a foreigner and he's got all this power. He's got a beautiful wife. He's got two great kids. He's surrounded by a huge family. He's successful. How great would it be to be Joseph? But the problem in that kind of thinking is they don't understand all of the difficulties and the suffering and the trials that he had to take to get to that place. And we still do that same stuff today. I wonder how many of us have looked at somebody that's successful. Somebody successful as an athlete, successful in business, maybe a co-worker, maybe a friend, maybe somebody you know at school that looks so successful in what they've done. They've achieved some great things, but you and I don't understand all of the difficulties and the disappointment and the failures and the pain and the suffering and the, the, the tough times that it took to get to, them that, to, to that success. You see, we all want the end result. We all want the success, but nobody wants to pay the price that it takes to get there. We all want to look at at the end of the the story, all wrapped up in a nice little bow, but we don't want to walk the path that God has for us to get to that place. I can remember in my last church, I had a large student ministry as a youth pastor, and uh, we had almost 500 students coming at at the end of my ministry there. and uh, We had all these associates and had interns and all these people. And we would do these conferences where other ministers from other churches would come to our church to learn how we did what we did. And these youth guys would come, and, and I wasn't old. I was 40, I guess, when I left and came here, or 41. And uh, so I was in my late 30s or 40s, and these young guys that were 22 and 23, they would come, and, and they would see all that we had. We had a big youth building and huge budget and all this kind of stuff, and they'd see all that and say, man, this is what I want for youth ministry. Man, I want, it, I want this. But you see, they didn't realize all of the difficulties it takes to get to that place. All of the struggles, all of the times that I was all alone in a bus cleaning out youth mess because nobody else showed up to do it. The times that, that I would teach a Bible study when there were two people that showed up or we would have volunteers supposed to come and no one would show up. They don't see that. They see the end result. We see great athletes and we say, man, I'd love to be like that. Somebody that has been in the news here recently, the MVP of the Super Bowl, Von Miller, who happens to be a Texas Aggie. Whoop! You can can go ahead and say that. But Von Miller is an incredible athlete. But what you may not realize is that when he was in elementary and middle school, he was almost blind with his eyesight. He couldn't see. Matter of fact, he was made fun of. He was a nerd. He admits it. He was a nerd. He had thick Coke bottle glasses, so much so that his parents wouldn't let him play football. His dad was afraid he was going to get hurt, and so he wouldn't let him play. His mom had to sneak him out around his dad, drive him to practice, and his glasses, back in those days in middle school, wouldn't stay. They didn't have the expensive stuff, so he had to wear these huge basketball goggles on the outside of his helmet to hold his glasses in place. Now, do you think if you're in eighth grade, and you're playing football, and you're a scrawny athlete with thick Coke bottle glasses with the goggles that go on. Do you think he got made fun of? think he got picked on? He showed up in college. He was 100 pounds under playing weight. They told him, unless you put on weight, you're never going to be able to play. He ended up being the third draft pick in the first round during his draft. He was the MVP of the Super Bowl. You see, we look at the MVP, but we don't see all of that other stuff. And we do the same thing with Joseph. Sometimes we don't realize that the biggest dreams and the greatest success always come with the greatest sacrifice. They always come with the highest price, even the dreams that God's given us. Now let me just say this, clarify something from last week, because last week we talked about dream killers. We talked about those things that interfere in us pursuing our dreams, and I told you that God is calling you and I to dream big dreams, but I really didn't define what a big dream is. And sometimes it's easy for us to sit in the pew or to sit in our house and say, God hasn't given me a big dream. But you see, every dream that you have that accomplishes God's goals in your life that you couldn't do without God is a big dream. You see, it's a big dream, not if it changes the world, but if it changes your world. If it changes who you are and the people around you, that's a big dream. For you to sit and say, I want to be a successful businessman, a godly businessman that can bless other people through my business. That's a big dream. I want to be a a godly mother and and housewife that can raise my kids up in the way of the Lord. That's a big dream because that is going to require abilities and strength beyond what you have. And God has given all of us big dreams. God has given us all big opportunities to make huge differences in our lives. And you can't understand how big and how incredible they are until you look and listen to the voice of God and what He's calling us to. Remember I told you last week, God doesn't give us our dreams for ourselves. He gives us our dreams so that we might bless others as we achieve our dreams. Now you get blessed in the process. Joseph's dream wasn't for him. Joseph's dream was to save Egypt. And in saving Egypt, once he became a leader, He would save eventually his family. He was blessed along the way, but it wasn't his dream for him. God was using it to bless others. And so I want you to hear, if you didn't get anything last week, except this. Please hear this. God has a big dream for you, a dream that can change your life and the lives of those around you. And I share with you, when God planted the dream in my heart to become a a Christian minister, As a teenage boy, through that Sunday school teacher that planted that seed that began to work all the way through my life, that was a huge dream. Because as a 16 year old or a 17 year old, I had no clue how I was going to ever achieve those things that I would ever become a pastor, that I would ever uh, become a Christian minister, that I would ever speak for God uh, to other people. And just to tell you how huge that dream is, I'm reminded all the time I connect with friends on Facebook that I went to high school with, that I grew up with, and one of their first questions, one of their first responses is, how in the world did you, with the emphasis on you, become a minister? Because it was a huge dream. It was something that was beyond my understanding. And God has that same kind of huge dream in your life. It's easy to look at Joseph's story and see how it all got wrapped up into a nice little bow. But I don't think anyone would be willing to walk the path that it took to get him there. We saw a couple of weeks ago he came from a very dysfunctional, hot mess of a family. A dysfunctional family that makes your family look very normal, no matter what your circumstances He grew up in a childhood of, of, of murder and jealousy and hatred and anger He was abandoned, abused by his brothers, which we'll read about in just a moment. He was sold into slavery. His family thought he was dead. He was put into prison unjustly for 10 years without hope of getting out. I don't know anybody that would say, I will go that path if it means I'll be a success. Because none of us are willing to choose the tough thing. That probably wasn't in Joseph's 10-year plan when he was 17 years old. That probably wasn't part of his life's hopes and goals when he was setting those out as a teenager. Did any of you ever have a teacher, a well-intentioned guidance counselor or a college professor that had you write out, like, my 10-year plan? Where do you see yourself in 10 years? Where do you see yourself in 20 years? And, and when we did that, if you did that like I did, it seemed so easy, didn't it? A, B, C, D, right? You go to college and you graduate school or you get a job, not a job, you get a good job and you make money. Uh, You get married, you have the, you know, two kids, one boy, one girl, if you want. Uh, Big house, car, success, raises, you know, you you write all that stuff out and you think, I've seen myself 10 years doing these things. The problem is, nobody tells you about all the detours that come up on that path. Nobody warns you about the sidetracks. Nobody warns you about the flat tires. Nobody warns you that sometimes E comes before B and it throws everything off. Anybody else in here face detours in your life plans? Amen. All of us. But what I want you to recognize this morning is that sometimes those detours aren't detours. Those are the paths we were supposed to go on in the first place. And you see, when Joseph was preparing, when Joseph was planning, God had a different plan for him. Now, I don't want to discourage you. I I don't want to scare young people or college students and make you think, oh, I can't do anything. No, I want to encourage you. That God has a plan for you. But you need to remember what God told Isaiah. My plans are not your plans. And my thoughts are not your thoughts. See, one of the areas that I think we fail most as parents, and please hear my heart, I'm admitting as a parent myself, is we spend all of our time trying to prepare the path for our kids instead of preparing our kids for the path. Now, did you hear that? We spend all of our time trying to make the path for our kids smooth and make it easy and and get it prepared for them when that may not be the path that they end up going. And instead of preparing our kids for the path that they may have to face, we leave them out on their own. And you see, Joseph was not ready for what he was about to face. And the wheels came off real fast after Joseph's dream. Let, let me read to you Genesis chapter 37, and we'll pick up where we left off. Remember, he's the favorite son. He's got 10 older brothers that... Don't just not like him. It says he, they hate him at least five times here in Genesis chapter 37. His dad, who calls him his favorite, he's the youngest, sends him out to spy on his older brothers. So he's going out to spy on his older brothers. He thinks he's doing his dad a favor. And he's going out. His brothers are out farming sheep. He can't find them. They're in another area. He ends up going to that area. And then we pick it up in verse 18. It says, so Joseph went after his brothers, and he found them near Dothan. But then he saw them in a distance, and they saw him, and before he reached him, they plotted to kill him. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come, now let's kill him and throw him in one of the cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him, and we will see what becomes of his dreams. And we talked last week that this is a perfect example of dream killers. Literally, they were trying to kill his dreams. But when Reuben heard this, he tried to rescue him from his hands. Now understand, Reuben is the oldest brother. He's probably 25 years older than Joseph at 17 years old. He, he's in his late 30s, maybe 40s. Has kids. He may have kids Joseph's age. He's the oldest brother. But he has been disqualified from the inheritance because he had an affair with his stepmother. He slept with his dad's wife. And in doing that, he disqualified himself from an inheritance. So Reuben has another agenda here because the next person to inherit is Joseph. And so Reuben is thinking if we can somehow save Joseph if we can leave him here when the brothers leave I'm going to go sneak him out take him back to dad and say dad look I saved your your favorite son and maybe somehow Reuben will be back in the good graces so Reuben had a another agenda so when Joseph came to his brothers they stripped off his robe his richly ornamented robe he was wearing and they took him and they threw him in the cistern now the cistern the well was empty there was no water in it And as they sat down to eat their meal, they looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites. Now remember the Ishmaelites, that's their great-grandfather Abraham's son. That's their grandfather's brother who was cast out. It's the Arab nation. These Arabs are traveling down to Egypt. Their camels were loaded with spices and balm and myrrh, and they were on their way to take them to Egypt. And Judah said to his brothers, What will we gain if we kill our brother and cover his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother, our flesh, and our blood. So they compromise. Judah comes up with a compromise. So when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites who took him to Egypt. Verse 36 says, If you keep going down, he was sold in Egypt to the house of Potiphar as a slave. Now imagine if you're Joseph. You're 17 years old. You're the favorite son. You just got these big dreams from God. You got your whole life in front of you. You're out there seeing your big brothers who you look up to. And when you get to your big brothers that you love and you look up to, they beat you, they strip your clothes off, and they throw you in a well, and you don't know whether you're going to live or die. And the next time that that you hear from them, they are pulling you up out of a well to put you in chains and shackles as a slave, selling you to foreigners. and what he was going through can you imagine the struggles and the pain and the hurt can you imagine saying god you gave me these dreams why in the world am i going through this why am i facing this but the thing that blows me away through all of joseph's story and we'll talk more about this in the weeks to come is that no place do we ever see joseph losing his faith in god no matter what he faced no matter what he went through doesn't mean he wasn't angry, doesn't mean he probably didn't say at the bottom of the well, God, why? But he trusted that God had a plan, and it was that faith and that trust that guided him. You see, God had to have a way to get him to Egypt. If he was ever going to be a leader, if he was going to save the nations that God had planned, how was he going to take a 17-year-old Hebrew boy in the land of Canaan and get him to leadership of Egypt? God had a plan, and Joseph trusted his plan. Now, it wasn't a plan that you would would have written up certainly wasn't a plan that we would have hoped for but it was god's plan and it was perfect because you see you need to understand that it was in following this plan that joseph's heart was prepared for where god was taking him so i want to give you some encouragement this morning if you're a dreamer i want to give you some hope if you faced a detour if you've been sidetracked if your dreams have gotten off where you hoped for and what you'd planned i want to encourage you but I want to start by, by maybe bursting your spiritual bubble with this. The Bible and God never promise us that doing His will or following His way will be easy. Please hear me. Regardless of what the self-help preachers or the prosperity preachers may tell you, God never tells us that life is going to be a box of chocolates or a bed of roses or that it's going to be easy. Matter of fact, Jesus tells us just the opposite. He never says following his will will be easy, but he always promises us it'll be worth it. Did you hear that? It won't be easy, but it'll be worth it. And so as we begin to look at Joseph's life, I want you to keep that in the back of your head because remember I've told you before that the job of a Christian, our life as a Christian, it is not about the destination, it's about the journey. It's about going. It's not about getting anywhere. It's about going and moving because it is in the journey that God works in our hearts. It's in the journey of following Him and doing His will and going where He tells us to go that He makes us more like Him, that we become intimate with Him. See, so many of us are so quick to want to get someplace when God is more interested in that path and that journey that He has us on. See, God knew what was going to happen when He got Joseph to Egypt. But God was more interested in what took place in that 17-year period between the two. So let me just encourage you. Let me give you some some help and some hope that for those of you who who are facing a difficult path, whose smooth path never ended up smooth, a couple of things real quickly. First of all, God-given dreams are most always going to remove you from your place of comfort. If God gives you a dream, it is probably going to guarantee that you are going to have to move out of a place of security and safety. That's the difference between God-given dreams and your dreams. Because your dreams are always about Eve, aren't they? I mean, we dream, somebody told me last week, they said, well, do you think it was a God-given dream that I win the lottery? No. Now, does that mean it's wrong if you win the lottery? No, I won't get in as long as you tie 25%. It's not. so. But see, our dreams are always about retirement. They're always about that trip, right? God, I'm dreaming I'm going to get a bike and be able to cruise the parkway. Or God, I'm going to have a house on the beach. or God, It's always about ease, and there's nothing wrong with those. But recognize those are your dreams. Because God's dreams are never about ease. They are always about stretching us. That's how you can tell the difference. Because you're not going to dream of something that's going to cost you anything because we don't want to pay. We want something that's going to be easy. God is going to plant a dream in your heart that's going to make you stretch. It's going to make you grow. It's going to make you learn. His dreams will always test you. They will always take you to a place of uncomfort. Many times when God plants a dream in our heart, our first response, this is how you know it's God's dream, I can't. I can't do that. I don't want to do that. But God's dreams are always a catalyst that propel us into God's will. They'll always move. You know, I'm amazed. So many Christians come and tell me, Pastor, I want to grow in my faith. I want to know God deeper. But to do that, you've got to move beyond the things that you're placing your faith in now. You see, do you think God could have worked in Joseph's life if he left him in Jacob's home, Israel's home, around those ten brothers? What do you think would have happened if he'd have stayed there? He'd have become just like his dad. He'd have probably fallen into the same trap that his brothers were falling into. But for God to work in his life, the first thing he had to do was get him out of that situation and out of that circumstance. And that is the place that many of us, when we are going down the path of life and you're chasing your dreams and you come to that first detour, most of the time our first response is, which way is going to be easiest, right? My kids are looking at going into college, trying to make decisions about where to go to college. Some of you have faced that. Some of you have gone through that. Some of you are going to go through that. And what we have to fight against is which task, which job is the easiest. I can work hard. I can study more. I can prepare for this. And I can go this way and maybe go to this college. Or I cannot take my senior year off and chill and relax and I can go this way it doesn't matter. One way is not better than the other. The question is, which way is God leading? See, we always choose the path of ease, but God's will is always going to remove you from that. You see, God had to remove all the things that Joseph put his trust in to get him to trust God alone. And I want you to remember when we get to the end of the story that everything that God took away from Joseph, he replaced. Gave him better than he had. And God almost always does that for you and I when we move out of our place of comfort. But the first step is you getting out of your comfort zone. Every one of us has comfort zones, right? You don't have to be, people tell me, you know, you you get older, you get settled in your ways. You don't have to be old to be settled in your ways. You can be young and be settled in your ways. We all get settled in our ways. We drive the same way. We eat the same things. We do the same habits. We come home, follow the same routines. We all get in that. See, God, the whole Bible, that's why people bristle when we talk about change in church, but the whole Bible is built on change. It's built on you changing from that selfish creature that was was created and influenced by the world into the image of Christ. And to get you to change into that, everything is changing day by day, and it is a constant fight because your old nature is always wanting to stay the same. It's always wanting to be safe. It's always wanting to be secure. As long as you're not willing to let go, you can never chase God's dream. You understand that? As long as you're holding on, and usually it's whatever we hold on to the tightest, as long as you're conditional with God. God, I'll follow you anywhere you want as long as I can bring this or as long as I don't have to let go of this. You'll never chase God's dream. You know what the hardest thing for me to let go of? Other people's dreams for me. Because we all grow up with people projecting dreams on us, don't we? I was involved in debate and mock trial and speech in high school and college. And I was involved in politics in school. People said, you're going to be a lawyer. You'd be a great lawyer. You'd be a politician. One day, maybe you could be a wonderful politician. Of course, all that went out the window when I became a Christian. But, you, you know, it still was out there. And so I always had that in the back of my head because everyone always said, that's what you will be great at. And even when I went to college and even when God was calling me into ministry, I was working at my first church, getting ready to graduate college. And I remember having the LSAT, the application, the test to take, to get into law school, sitting on my desk. It it was like uh, something to cling on to that I was telling myself, okay, I know God is telling me here, but everybody in my life has said, this is what I'm supposed to do. And you see, I was never really content and happy to follow God's will until I tore that up and said, that's the path. See, some of you are clinging more to somebody else's dream for you than you are God's dream. And until you step out from that, you'll never achieve what he's calling you. The second thing, God's curriculum, God's lessons are seldom one that we would choose. Now listen, I haven't have, have experienced what Joseph I had not experienced some of the pain and suffering you have. But I will tell you from my own life, when it comes to what I've experienced, if God had told me ahead of time that he was going to bring these people and this pain, these circumstances, and these situations into my life to teach me lessons, I'd have opted out. Let's be honest. I don't know if I'd have said, okay, God, I'll take that course. I mean, I may have audited it, but I wouldn't wouldn't have taken it. I wouldn't have said, that's the way I want to go. But you recognize that God, you know, if you think all of the discipline and all the struggles that you have to go through to get ready as an athlete or to get your body in shape, think of what you have to go through to get your soul and your spirit in shape. And God's lessons that he teaches are never easy. But the thing is, Joseph didn't get a boat. God registered him anyway, and sometimes we don't get a vote. And the path that God takes us on is to teach us and to prepare us so that we can be ready when we get there where our dreams are. Why did Joseph go through 17 years of pain and suffering and struggle? Because God was working inside of him and teaching him lessons so that one day he could stand before Pharaoh and he could be in a place of leadership. Please hear me. If you are facing difficulties today, if you are facing struggles, if you are facing pain, if you are facing mountains, And obstacles, you need to recognize that God is trying to teach you a lesson. I've shared this before. God is much more concerned with your spiritual health than your physical, emotional, or financial health. And He will take those things away sometimes to help you get your spiritual health back. I would not want to go through a child of divorce. I lost my mother when I was an older teenager. Brother committing suicide when he was in his 20s. All of these things that happened in my life, which is nothing compared to some of the things that some of you have faced. I wouldn't want to go back and do those again. I wouldn't wish them on anybody. But I tell you right now, as somebody that's about to turn 50, I can look back at all those experiences in my life and I can see how God was teaching me and taking me and molding me and making me to be the person I am today. They were life lessons and they were lessons that I had to have to get to where I am today everything that you're going through. It may not be your choosing, and it may not be pleasant. It wasn't pleasant for Joseph to be beat up by his brothers, to be put into slavery, but it was for a purpose. It was to help you become who God's calling and creating you to be. God is working in some of your lives. You need to receive it. You need to learn, I'm a better husband, a better father, a better pastor, a better friend because of what I've gone through. And you know what what even is more important to me? I now have the faith to move forward with more dreams because I recognize God's hand on me all through the path to get me to today. Because you see, the more faith that you have, the greater things that you'll face in the future with God's curriculum is never our choosing. The third thing is God always prepares people before he uses them. God gets you out of your comfort zone. He'll teach you lessons in the difficulty. And he'll always prepare you before he ever puts you in place. There was a great Christian pastor, D.L. Moody, that once said, when God wants to use a person greatly, he takes them first and crushes them. That did not sound pleasant to us. He crushes them. But see, we need to remember that God cannot work greatly through us until he works deeply in us. See, God has got to get you to a place where you are totally dependent on him. For everything that you have, Why did he strip away everything Joseph had? Why did he put him into that circumstance in prison? So that he would trust in God and God alone. It's been said that suffering is the quickest path to a deeper faith. Why? Because it drives you to trust God and God alone. Some of you have been in those seasons of life where a doctor has given you a bad report. Some of you have walked those paths with family members as they face the shadow of the valley of death, and you've been there with them. It's in those moments, if we can grasp that God is still in control, that God teaches us lessons, you can't learn anywhere else. And you learn to depend on Him and Him alone. You see, I think when Joseph was in that, that well, he thought, no one's coming for me except God. When he was put in, in slavery, he thought, no one's going to show up and rescue me. I, I'm... I'm Three days march away from my family. They don't even know where I am. No one is coming except God. See, when you get to that place that you can trust in God for everything, and you don't depend on your smarts, you don't depend on how quick you are, or how special you are, or how pretty, or how handsome, or how much money you have, or where you came from, or where you are. When all you depend on is God, you get to a place where God can use you. Because you see, when you become broken, that's when God begins to mold you and make you why david says in the psalms that god is close to the broken heart a broken and contrite heart i will not turn away he says you see in the middle of your struggles in the middle of your pain god is preparing you he is working in you wherever you are right now understand that god has you there for a reason god takes us out of our comfort zone he did to joseph god he teaches us lessons and sometimes they're hard and painful lessons He drives us to a place where we will trust only in him. And then the last thing, and I hope those haven't discouraged you from following your dreams, because the last one is probably the best. No matter where you are in pursuing your God given dreams, the Bible promises you are never alone. It's one of my favorite parts of Joseph's story. If you were to go and look in chapter 39 and and 38 and 39, and he is put into prison. He's put into slavery. All throughout those chapters, chapter 39, verse 2 says this, The Lord was with Joseph and he prospered. Chapter 39, verse 3 says, "When When the guards saw that the Lord was with Joseph. Chapter 39, 20, he's thrown into prison, but the Lord was with him. You see, all throughout everything that he faced, God was with him. It was the song we sang earlier, Oceans. When the waves get high, when, when you seem to be overwhelmed, when your feet begin to fail, that is a place you can understand that you have a God that is with you in that storm. See, through it all, I don't understand how he did it, because I don't know that I would have this kind of faith, but in the midst of all those difficulties, that prison, that, that slavery, he stood on the promise that God had made to his grandfather. Because you see, God told his grandfather Abraham, I will be your God, you will be my people, and I will never forsake you. You know, Jesus makes the same promise to you, that I will be with you even unto the ends of the earth. Paul told the Romans, Romans chapter 8, what can separate you from the love of God? What can separate you from his presence? Can nakedness, can slavery, can disease, can pain, can hurt? Nothing can separate you, he says. See, you and I need to stand on the promise this morning that no matter where you are, no matter what you're going through, no matter how much you are enduring today, that you are not alone, that you have God whispering in your ear. Because you see, I believe that in the worst of Joseph's circumstances, God spoke into his spirit and said, I am with you. You are mine. I have a plan. I haven't given up. The thing I love about Joseph is Joseph didn't find God when he got successful. That's the trend today. So, we do things our own way, our own path, our own strength, and our own ability. And then when we get there, we say, Well, I just want to thank God. It's like saying, God, come get in my boat. We're going where I want to go. And once we get there, then I'll tell you how this is going to work out. And God says, No, you come with me. It may not be the path you choose, it may not be the place that you want to go, but it'll always be well worth it. I promise on that path. I will never leave you. Listen to me. God is with you. Some of you this morning, you need to listen to a still small voice telling you don't give up. Don't quit. Don't stop. Greatest testimony to that is at the end of the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 50, when Joseph is reassuring his brothers, his dad has died. He said, I'm not going to kill you. He says this, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. Because you see, Joseph can look back on his life and see all of the trials and all of how the path was difficult and recognize that God was there all along. I wonder how many of you can look back in your life and recognize that what the world meant for evil, the things that you faced that were painful and overwhelming and difficult, that God meant for good. He is turning to His good. Are you still dreaming? you still chasing what God has planted in your heart? Or have you let the difficulty of the path make you quit? Maybe there was an obstacle too high, a mountain that was too large, maybe a struggle that was too painful. Where's your faith? Maybe you've gotten too comfortable. Maybe you've gotten safe and secure. Maybe you've just settled. Some of you this morning, maybe you're just afraid to let go. I wish I could promise you what God is calling you to will be easy. It won't be. But I can promise it will always be.